This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. And today we're going to talk about that church and how, how that church sticks to its, to its message. We're looking at the churches of the New Testament, the churches in the book of Acts that were so powerful that God used in such spectacular ways to change their world. We're, gonna go, we're going back to look at them and say, what, what happened among them, God, that made them like that, that just totally took the gospel and, and revolutionized cultures? What can we see in them that we need to say God do in us today as well? So I hope you'll learn this morning. And uh, stick with me. So far in our series, we've seen in that first church in chapter 1, Jesus promised them power to be witnesses throughout the world, starting where they were in Jerusalem and then spreading out all over the planet. And we're seeing that happen today. There's still something like 3,000 people groups, and most of them are little tribes tucked away in in places like where Stan's going and, and other places that do not yet have the gospel, that still have not yet heard the name of Jesus. But, we're, but our missionaries and the church is strategically whittling that number down, and we're excited about that. Uh, power to take the gospel out, chapter 1. Chapter 2 was about the church discovering its purposes. Once that power in the presence of the Holy Spirit came upon them, then they begin to live out what God intended for them to do. And we read that great story, how, how God used them to speak the languages of the people in the street in Jerusalem on a crowded day, on the day of Pentecost. And the people came to hear, what is that we're hearing? And Peter stepped out and preached the gospel to them, and 3,000 accepted Christ uh, that morning. Uh, in Jerusalem, and then how the church began to do what God wanted them to do and and gathering together as a body and praying and being taught and uh, having the Lord's table, Lord's Supper, communion together and sharing the gospel with their friends and neighbors. And Luke concludes that chapter by saying, and every day people were being saved. Every single day, more people were coming into the fellowship of that church. Chapter 3, where we were a couple of weeks ago, was the story of Peter and John and the church seizing, that church seizing God's divine opportunities that he provides us all the time. We have to be alert to what they are. And as they walked into the gates of the temple, there was that man sitting there who was always sitting there every day who had never walked a step in his life and he's over 40 years old and he calls out to them to give them money and he gets their attention and they stop and they they get his attention and they say, we don't have any money, but what we do have, we give you in the name of Jesus the Nazarene, rise up and walk. And Peter extended his hand. The man took his hand, lifted him up, and the man began to walk and leap and praise God as they went into the temple together to worship. And he drew a great crowd because everybody had seen this man for years and now he's drastically, radically changed and they want to know how. Peter gets up and says, not about me and John, it's about Jesus. He did this, the one that, who died and rose again. He wants to be your Messiah. And 5,000 men, doesn't say women, it uses the word for males there. We don't know how many women, but 5,000 men that day accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. 8,000 converts in two sermons. I don't know that Billy Graham can touch that, you know, but it was, it's amazing what God was doing. It was very powerful. They used the opportunities God gave them. Today, we're going to focus on the message of the church. 
What is that message? That church sticks to its message because as we go and we progress farther and farther and farther from the time of Christ, what we're seeing happening in our culture here in the United States is that churches, denominational groups, what have you, are tempted to water down the message of the Word of God and not really tell what the gospel is. And, 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 and we're going to be, through persecution and other things, told to be quiet about some things and not speak out on some things. We're going to have to be willing to say, God, what is it that you want us to do? We do not want to compromise the message. Now, how did they deal with that? Let's read some scripture together. We pick up here in chapter 4, verse 5, and, and, uh, and we're going to read from that point. Now, what happened with uh, Peter and John when they experienced that, that healing of that man, and everybody saw him, this, this really riled up the Jewish leadership. Because the people were flocking around Peter, and Peter preaches this message that says, Jesus is the Messiah. And these Jewish leaders, they knew, this is the Jesus that just a short time ago, we crucified. We, we arrested, had him tried, had him crucified. And we have denied that he rose from the dead. We don't even want to go there. So they pull Peter and John and the man in, the man that was healed, and they keep them overnight. It's late in the day. They don't have time to mess with them. They just keep them overnight, and we're going to talk with them tomorrow and and see what's going on here, what we can do about it. So we pick up in verse 5. I'm going to read down through verse 12 to start. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. All, everybody who's anybody in Jewish leadership is there. The Sanhedrin is there. We'll see that mentioned in a few moments ago. The high priestly family, Annas and Caiaphas, they're the ones that were in charge of the trial of Jesus and, and, and the ones that pushed him before Pilate and, and told Pilate, look, you're going to have to get rid of this guy and so forth. They're there. The scribes are there. The scribes are Jewish lawyers, and they're there to make sure that if whatever they do in, in, in interrogating these men and perhaps punishing this, these men, it follows Jewish law to the jot and the tittle. They dot the I's and cross the T's. They want to make sure that they're doing it legally according to Jewish law. So they have all these people, the Sanhedrin, 70 plus the high priestly family, plus the scribes. There could be 100 people here in this interrogation as they bring Peter and John together. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they asked the question, by what power or in what name Have you done this, this healing? Who gave you the right to do this is what they're asking them. What power, what name? It wasn't us. You didn't come to us and ask if you could get involved in this kind of thing. Uh, who, Who gave you permission? Who gave you the power for this spectacle that you've caused here? Then Peter, verse 8 was filled with the Holy Spirit. That means the Holy Spirit controlled what Peter was about to do, his life. And he said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let me stop there and say, Peter's saying to them, he said, are, are, 
really? You're going to bring us and, and interrogate us because a man who was crippled can now walk? You're going to treat us as though we've done something wrong because something wonderful has happened? Come on, guys. It's, it's not about this man walking and leaping and praising God. This goes beyond that. That's where Peter is going right now. He says in verse 10, if that's what this is about, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified. <laughs> Peter doesn't he just cuts right to the, to the quick, doesn't he? You crucified Jesus, and whom God raised from the dead. And we talked a couple of weeks ago about, about the, uh, the Sadducees, who made up a majority of the Sanhedrin. They did not believe in miraculous things. They did not believe in resurrection from the dead. And so Peter's just kind of rubbing it in a little bit about what they believe. God raised him from the dead. God healed this man. You don't believe that. God raised Jesus from the dead. You don't believe that. That's whose name we're here in. By him, by Jesus, this man, the man that had been healed, was standing there with him. Standing before you healthy. This Jesus, he goes on to say, whom you crucified. Do you really know who he is? Look what Peter does to them. He quotes from their scriptures. The Old Testament, Psalm chapter 118, verse 22. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders and has become the cornerstone. In verse 12, here's the message. Here's what we need to remember today. Verse 12, look at verse 12 with me. There is salvation in no one else, Peter tells them. For there is no other name under heaven given to among men, given to people, and we must be saved by it. No other name, no other salvation in Jesus and Jesus alone. The Sanhedrin, which are 70, that's where the word Sanhedrin means, the 70, was the Jewish Supreme Court made up of elders from, uh, from throughout Israel and Galilee. Our friend from John chapter 3, Nicodemus. Remember Nicodemus? He was a ruler of the Jews, probably was a member of this Sanhedrin. Some believe that the Apostle Paul was part of the Sanhedrin. Luke gives a lot of detail about who was here. He even gives names. He says John and Alexander. We don't know who they were. Maybe they're part of the priestly family. But he gives a lot of detail here, and he does so because he wants to highlight the contrast between the Sanhedrin and the scribes, the lawyers, and the high priests, and these two fishermen who are uneducated and untrained, who are speaking before them and speaking with this great boldness, Peter and John. These were very powerful men, the Sanhedrin, the priests, the scribes, and they held, they believed, all religious authority in Jerusalem. And so their question in verse 7, who gave you the power to do this, is intending, is, is implicating, you guys are outlaws. You never came through us to do anything like this. You're outside the law. No one gave you permission. In verse 11, Peter quotes Psalm 18, 118, 22. And if you know the 118th Psalm, it's a psalm that looks forward to Messiah's deliverance. It looks forward to the salvation of Israel. Listen to verses 25 and 26 in that psalm. It says, Lord, save us. 
Lord, please grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then as Peter quotes the scripture that's, that's couched in that context of salvation for the Jews, the supposedly uneducated man, knowing that the people he's talking to, the priests, the Sanhedrin, the scribes, they know this passage frontwards and backwards, inside and out. They know it's all about salvation. Then Peter, then Peter drops the bomb of verse 12 on them. I want you to look at it. Let's read that verse again and read it aloud together. Read it with me. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. It's about salvation, that passage of the cornerstone. And I'm here to tell you, salvation is found only in Jesus Christ. So verse verse 12 tells us the first point of our outline this morning, and that is this simply, our message is all about Jesus. That church's message was about Jesus. Remember, Peter knew from personal experience. You know, he, he was in the, the upper room the night of Jesus' arrest when, when Jesus said to Thomas, remember Jesus in John 14 says, I'm getting ready to leave. I'm going to my father's house, going to prepare places for you. I'm, and, and I want you to come and go with me. And Thomas says, time out. I, I don't know where you're going. I don't know how to get there. Isn't that the question that people, how do I get to God? Peter and Thomas asked that question, and Jesus said, here's the answer, verse 6. You know, you know the answer. You're probably familiar with this verse. Jesus looked at him and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, he told him. No one. He had heard Jesus teach, and he knew the gospel wasn't about keeping the law. The Pharisees were the greatest keepers of the law in his day, and Jesus was always telling them, you guys are missing it. You're blind. You can't see it. It's not about keeping the law. Peter had been present when Jesus, in a cemetery, just before he raised her brother who had been dead for four days from from the grave, when he told Martha, he spoke to Martha, and he told her this. He said, I am the resurrection and the life, the one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. And Thomas doubted, later on, Thomas again, Thomas doubted that Jesus was truly risen. Jesus was standing there before him with the other disciples. Peter was in the room when he heard Thomas proclaim as he looked at Jesus, and he said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, Thomas, I want you to know something. You're blessed because you believe. You cannot read the book of Acts. You cannot read the letters to the churches and to individuals that follow in the New Testament and believe that the message of the first churches was about positive thinking. You cannot read the New Testament and and think for a moment that what the Bible is all about is how to help yourself. It's not about self-help. Jesus is the heart of our message. And it's in him that we live and before him that one day everyone ever born on this earth, in every culture, of every tribe, of every nation, one day will bow before him and confess that he is Lord. Paul wrote to the Philippians in Philippians 2, verses 10 and 11, for this reason God highly exalted him, Jesus, 
highly exalted Jesus and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and are on earth and under the earth. Those who are with God, those who are alive on the earth, those who are buried in the grave. Every knee will bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee, every person ever born on this earth one day will bow before Jesus. The message of the gospel is the message to believe in Jesus. And I often hear people say, but I believe in God. And that's great, but do you believe? Have you accepted his one and only son, Jesus Christ, as your savior? Because people say, I believe in God. God means a lot of different things to a lot of people, doesn't it? Jesus makes it really specific. Do they understand that there is no other way to heaven? See, it's not through Allah, it's not through Buddha or Krishna that salvation is given. It is through Jesus and Jesus alone. So our message, that church's message, is the message of the church today, is our message here at Nagset Church. And the message very simply is Jesus. His name is the only name that qualifies anyone in salvation. Look with me at verse 13. Well, Peter gets up and he says that. And he looks at you crucified. They observed the boldness of Peter. And again, this boldness came upon Peter because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed. These guys, they're not from seminary. I never saw them in school. And probably from their language, they probably didn't have really good grammar. You know, they butchered the language a little bit and used, you know, they put the word from at the end. Where are you from? You know, where it's, you know, and they, they just did not use good. They said, these guys have never been to school. They're not smart as us. They observed that they were uneducated and untrained. They were amazed, but they recognized they had been with Jesus. Maybe some of them said, I saw them with Jesus. I know these, who these men are. They were his disciples. And since they saw the man who had been standing, who had been healed standing with them, he's right there with them. I love what, what Luke says. They had nothing to say in response. What could they say? The, God, the living proof of the power of Jesus' name is right here. They couldn't say anything in response. They, they kind of blew their whole argument out of the water. You, you have to wonder about these guys. They should have been convinced by what was going on, but they were not. They were so stubborn in their religion that they were not going to accept the truth that God was putting right before their eyes. So verse 15, after they ordered them, Peter, John, and the man, they said, take them to another room. To leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves. They said, we got to come up with a plan here. We can't argue with this. What are we going to do? Saying, what should we do with this man? For an obvious sign is evident to all who live in Jerusalem, and it's been done through them, and we cannot deny it. Two things here that they messed up. You know, you wonder, these are supposed to be the smartest guys in, in town. One thing says, one, they said, an obvious sign has been done here. Hello, the sign is flashing, but let's not look at it. 
Let's pretend like it's not there. That's what they're saying. That's not smart, okay? Obvious sign has been done, and everybody in town knows about it. What's been done, and he says it's been done through, through them. And they had just gotten through, Peter just said, it's not, this didn't happen through us. This is about Jesus. But they don't want to listen to that. They don't want to accept that. They're blinded to the truth. These highly intelligent, trained, educated men. However, verse 17, so this doesn't spread any further among the people. We sure we need to nip it in the bud if we can. Let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name. And so they called for them and ordered them not to preach or teach at all in the name of Jesus, not individually, not to big crowds, just don't talk about Jesus at all. No more Jesus, okay? That's an order. And they threatened them. And we're going to see later on in Acts what they threatened them with, and it was physical punishment. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide, for we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And threatening them further, they released them. They even compounded the threat. So I, please understand what we said is going to happen to you if you keep teaching in the name, in this name of Jesus. They released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. They said, we can't punish these guys. If we do, all those 5,000 men out there that just accepted Jesus as their Savior, they're going to riot this place. They're going to come and take us and string us out and ride us out of town on a rail. Be careful with especially theological leaders, church leaders, but I would say leaders of all, be very careful with those whose biggest concern is being politically correct. That's what was happening here with these guys. We, we don't want to get the people upset. So we'll just deny this has happened. We'll threaten them. We'll let them loose. We're not going to hurt them this time. And then it concludes verse 22, for the sign of, the sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. Now, so there's lots of evidence that what had happened was, was very real. And what, what happened is true. Uneducated, you go back to verse 13, they called them uneducated and untrained. There's interesting words in the Greek. Uneducated is, is the Greek word agramatoi. When you put the letter A in front of a Greek word, it means without. So agramatoi means without grammar. They, you know, these guys can't speak the language correctly. They don't talk right. Double negatives and all the things that they probably were doing. Their speech gave away their lack of formal education. The second word is even more telling. The second word for untrained is the Greek word is idiotai. Guess what that means? Okay, that's what they were saying about them. They're dumb, ignorant fishermen. That was their opinion about Peter and John. Verse 19, the point here is this. Our message cannot be silenced by men. We may have to choose, Christians, here in 2013, in the United States of America, we may have to choose who we'll listen to, men or God. 
And that choice may have consequences for us. But that doesn't mean that we can force ourselves and our faith on others if we say, look, nobody can tell me what to say or what to do. We don't force ourselves, but neither can we be silent. And we can't be silent about what we believe. We can't be silent about our witness. And the reason we cannot be silent is for what Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, when he said, faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes from comes through the message about Christ. There has to be a verbal telling. There has to be a hearing of the gospel. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. It's not just letting your little light shine. You've got to tell the message. Eventually, you've got to tell them about Jesus. We're to be witnesses, telling what we've seen telling what we've heard, telling the good news about Christ. Peter said we can't stop speaking. Why? Because we're under the Spirit's control. When you're under the Spirit's control, you're going to do exactly what happens here. You're going to be bold about your witness. And we've all had the hiccups. Everybody in this room has had the hiccups at one time or another. And they can be embarrassing when they're in your having the hiccups in the wrong place, you know, and, and it may be irritating when you're in a, maybe in the living room and you're trying to watch TV and somebody's got the hiccups and everybody else says, would you please stop that? You know, we know with the hiccups, you can't stop. I mean, it's not something you're doing on purpose. It's an involuntary action. I have no control over this. In fact, I did a little research about hiccups. Hiccups, more officially referred to as singultus. You didn't know that, did you? You see, you're looking at me and thinking, idioti, right? (laughs) It's amazing what you find on Wikipedia. Uh, Singultus, from the Latin, which means, the word means to catch your breath while sobbing, are repeated spasmodic contractions of the diaphragm causing a quick inhalation that is then cut short by an involuntary involuntary closing of the glottis. I don't know what, what that means. Mostly these episodes are transient. They come and they go. And benign. They don't cause any damage. Hiccups lasting more than 48 hours are considered persistent. (laughs) So if you, man, in 48 hours you got hiccups, you go to the emergency room, they say, what's wrong with you? You say, persistent hiccups. And they'll go, we understand that. My pastor told me so. If they last longer than a month, they are termed intractable. The longest recorded bout of hiccups, get this, lasted 68 years. (laughs) Would you please stop that? Look, buddy, I've been doing this for 67 years. I would love to stop. Stop teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus. We can't. It's beyond our control. Why? Because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit had control of them. And this is a good thing. Verse 23, and by the way, history has shown throughout the history of the church, governments and tyrants from Caesars, you know, to all all kinds of persecution have, have made many efforts to silence the gospel, but every attempt has failed. Why? Because there's power in the name of Jesus. 
more power than any government, any dictator, any tyrant, any religion, any army possesses. Verse 23, after they were released, they went to their own people. They went back to their fellowship, back to their church, and reported everything the chief priests and elders had said to them. Here's what took place. And when they heard this, the church heard this, they all raised their voices to God. Immediately, their first response was not, let's go get them. Let's go march the streets in front of the temple with signs and protest. That's not what they did. They immediately began to pray. And Luke records their prayer. Master, you are the one. You are sovereign. You are in control. You are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of our father David, your servant. And they're quoting scripture again now. Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, which speak about... This is a prophecy of the tribulation that's still yet to come. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers assembled together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, continuing the prayer, this in this city both Herod and Pontius Pilate, Gentiles, Romans, with the Gentiles, with their army, And the people of Israel assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. He was your choice, if you will. That's what the word anointed means. They assembled against him to, get this now, they assembled against Jesus to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. What were they saying? God, this is all in your hands. And when Jesus was arrested and when Jesus was whipped and tried and crucified, it wasn't a hiccup. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a detour. It was exactly, Father God, what you planned for the salvation of mankind. There was no surprise there to you. It was what what you all had planned. You and, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit had planned together. And now, Lord, that's past. Well, here we are right now. Would you please, here's our prayer, consider their threats and grant that your slaves, they're talking about themselves, your servants, may speak your message with complete boldness. We've been told not to. We've been threatened if we do. We need your boldness. We can't do this on our own. You read between the lines, they're telling God, this is kind of scary to us. Give us complete boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing signs and wonders. That's what you've been doing. Amazing, supernatural things have been happening. We expect you're going to continue to do that to draw attention to the message. Help us share the message without fear. And when they, and by the way, and, and that might be performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Again, it's about Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled, all of them filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak God's message with boldness. In your notes, the power of your message, the power behind the messengers, is supernatural. You can't drum it up. It's not you, just you or me saying, I'm going to be strong, Jesus. You can't be. I'm going to be bold, Jesus. Wrong. It's a matter of saying, I can't. God, you're going to have to do this for me. 
You're going to have to fill me up with yourself because I'm filled with fear. Let me ask you, back up though, Peter and John, they're released. They went to their fellowship. They went to their church. Let me ask you a question because I know we have a lot of guests here from other churches, but I want to, our church, how important is your church, your small group within your church, how important is that to you? William McDonald, in his commentary here in this passage of Scripture, writes these words. So in all ages, one test of Christian character is where he finds fellowship and companionship. One test of a Christian's character, where does he find fellowship and companionship? Let me tell you something. Let me just be honest. I look at these guys. They, I'm sure they were stre- this was a stressful experience they just went through. Peter and John didn't look at each other and says, before we go anywhere, let's go to the bar and have a drink, try to settle us down, try to deal with the stress. They did not. They went to their church, and they prayed. I know of Christians who, after a painful divorce or a separation, something of a crisis happens in their lives, something traumatic They try to find companionship and they try to find fellowship in the wrong places. Listen to me. There's something missing in your life if you have to have a drink in your hand to have fellowship. Do you hear me? Something missing in your life if that's the first place you go. Peter and John went right to their church fellowship. Much later, John would write these words in 1 John chapter 1 about fellowship. He would write this. If we say... You know, talk is cheap. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, and others we say, yeah, me and Jesus got a good thing going. We're best buddies. Oh, I just think he's wonderful, but my life walks another direction than with Jesus. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. But... If we walk in the light, the idea is that's where Jesus is. He's walking in the light. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship, now get this, with one another. We seek fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin. Fellowship with one another. That's what they sought immediately after this experience. Fellowship with one another is about Christ and is about walking in the light. And we, you and I as believers, have to make a choice. Am I going to walk in fellowship with the Lord and with my brothers and sisters? Or am I just going to say the words but live a different way? Don't live a lie. As, church, we, as a church, we move as one body. Peter and John went there, back to that, wherever it was, probably a house church, maybe it was the, the other apostles. They gathered around themselves, and they told them what happened, and their first response was to pray, and their simple request to God was for him. They didn't pray, God, you saw what the priests and the Sanhedrin did. God, send fire down from heaven and consume them. Just kill them all. That would be my temptation. God, do you understand they mess with one of your kids here? I hope that makes you really mad. Take them out, Lord. I, I would probably pray something like that, I'm ashamed to say. They did not. They just said, Lord, consider their threats. Would you help us to overcome these fears? Would you give us 
boldness in spite of the threats. And here's the lesson I think that's here. When you and I, when we are filled with the Spirit, we will boldly witness. We'll tell people about Christ. We will not do it with fear. In fact, Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, Timothy was a young man leading a church with a lot of older men in charge and Timothy was sent there by Paul to straighten out some things and they were giving him a little bit of a hard time and they, they're old and they're wise supposedly and Timothy was a little bit shy and Paul said to him in 2 Timothy chapter 1-7, listen Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness but one of power and love and sound judgment. If I'm afraid to share Christ's message of salvation with others, as so many people say, most Christians never share their testimony, they never tell their story, they're never witness to anybody verbally, and they say, because I'm afraid. Well, listen to me, the Bible says that fear is not from God. That fear is something you have manufactured within your own heart, within your own mind. That fear tells me I'm not trusting in him, I'm trusting in me, and I can't do this. It tells me I'm more concerned with how I'll be perceived than taking the risk, whatever the risk might be. Three times so far in our study in Acts, we've seen the Spirit's filling mentioned. They were filled with the Spirit three times. Chapter 1, chapter 3, here. And all three times, the result of the filling of the Holy Spirit is the sharing of the gospel with boldness. All three times. And what's spoken results in lives being changed as men and women heard the gospel. Let me ask you a question this morning. What's the message that comes from your mouth at home, at work, among your friends? Have you never, are you one, a Christian, maybe you're a baby Christian, but maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. Have you never verbally shared the gospel with someone because of fear that you might get it wrong? You know, I'm not going to, I'll just let Rick do all the talking. Wrong. Have you never shared the gospel verbally because you might fear you might get it wrong, because you fear that maybe they won't want to hear it? You know, God will lead you to those who are ready to hear. That's the great thing. Because you fear that they'll reject Christ, and as they reject Christ, they'll also reject you as their friend or maybe even as a family. They'll say, don't even come around me anymore if that's what you're going to do. Are you fearful? what you and I should be afraid of, if anything, is that one day I'll stand before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ and have no one, no one who will be in heaven because of my witness. There will be no one there who calls out my name and says, I'm here today. I accepted Jesus as my Savior and had my sins forgiven and was given eternal life because you cared enough to share the gospel with me. I should fear that I will stand before Jesus and no one will be there because of my witness. That should make me afraid. What we should fear is that the people we are around every single day at work, at school, 
neighbors that they might die without hearing the gospel one time from our lips. And that dying without Christ, they will spend their eternity in hell. That fear, that should motivate you and me from to stop living for ourselves and stop practicing unholy things that don't belong in my life, those things that might prevent him from having control over you and me. The message that we have, church, should not be kept secret. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If we're going to be that church, we have to be filled with the Spirit. If we're going to be that church and the Spirit fills us, we're going to be sharing the gospel and taking the risks to do so boldly. Your life, your words, your actions, as well as mine, communicate a message. And for that church, the message was very simple. There is no other name. No one else under heaven, given among men. It's Jesus. Is that the message you and I are giving out? Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, and some, perhaps someone today, the Spirit of God's Word combined together and the Spirit and the Bible are, are saying to you, I've got to begin to share my faith God, take the fears away. I want to be a witness. I want someone to be in heaven who's there because I was unashamed, unafraid of sharing the gospel. And right now, you're, you're just burdened and you know you've got to begin to do that. That's what the Lord wants. But maybe you say, I ah, don't know how to start. I want to pray for you. So if this morning you would say, Rick, that's me. I've got to be verbal. I've got to start being a witness. I've got to start telling my story. There are people around me every day who, who need to hear. And, and I'm, I'm really trying to live the life. But when, if God gives me the opportunities as he gave Peter and John, I want to speak the truth and do it in a bold way without fear. If that's you and you would say, that's my prayer this morning, God, use me as a witness. Would you slip your hand up in the air? God, I want to share. Gosh, there ought to be a thousand hands going up. God, I want to share your word, your truth. You kids are getting ready to go back to school. The greatest mission field in America is the public high school. Father, give us the boldness. We ask that you would help us to drain ourselves of me and you fill us up with your spirit. And we will be unashamed and unafraid. Even though we may be uneducated and, and, and untrained, we can tell what you've done for us and point somebody to Jesus Christ. Help us to do that. Because we know eternity's in the balance. In Christ's name I pray. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.